Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here. Happy Easter. I guess I'm supposed to say Christ is risen. Some of you know that. Yeah, in fact, I heard Christ is risen in Slovak, Ukrainian, and somebody tried in Spanish today, in addition to English. And all over the world, people are proclaiming that reality, that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is alive. And we believe that here. It's the central uh, point of faith that we have here at New Life. If you're a first-time guest, we're so glad that you're here. We actually really uh, spruce the place up a bit. For those of you who come every week, you know that last week we didn't have those two screens on the side. Last week we didn't have a balcony, but we do today, and we're so glad for that. Although I've been, yeah. And I want to say thank you to Chuck Mattis. He's right here in the front row. He's, uh, he's the elder who's been in charge of all of our building projects here at New Life, and I know he's going like this because he said everybody else did the work, but you have to have somebody coordinates the work or it doesn't get done. So thanks to Chuck for that as well. And I've been saying this is the third service for this weekend already. And uh, those of you who are in the balcony, I just want you to know I cannot see you at all. Because those lights are shining in my eyes. And I I said I'm going to have to get a a baseball cap. But then I'll have to grow a ponytail. And then I'll have to get a beard. So I'm not getting a baseball cap. So I just won't be able to see you that well. But sorry. I I know you're up there. And I'll look up there every now and then. If I don't, just like go, whoo. Okay, and I'll look up. But uh, today, we're starting a really interesting series. In fact, I'm going to start off with a little question for you, and that is, do you ever think about the devil? Ever? I mean, is he like on your radar? Because uh, over this week and the next six weeks, we're going to have this series where we're going to talk about the devil and sin. And the series, as you saw on the bumper, is called Make War. And we're going to make war against the devil and sin, particularly seven sins that have come to be known as the seven deadly sins. Of course, every sin is deadly because what sin is, it's breaking the will of God in our lives. And every time we break the will of God in our lives, it separates us from God. It separates our relationship with God. And it ultimately makes us stand condemned before God because he's perfect. He's holy and he's just and he can't look at sin. So, We're going to look at these seven deadly sins over the next seven weeks, pride, lust, sloth, greed, envy, wrath, and gluttony, and we're going to address one of these sins each week and then God's strategy for overcoming it. And uh, probably you might be a little bit surprised that on Easter morning, uh, the pastor has mentioned the S word, that is sin, seven times. You know, in a lot of churches, they don't really talk much about sin anymore, but the reason we celebrate Easter is because Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus wouldn't have risen from the dead if he didn't die. And Jesus died because of sin. Your sin and mine. And the first and deadliest of all the sins, if you will, is pride. And the reason that pride is the first sin that's listed in the seven deadly sins is because it's the first sin that ever entered the human heart. In fact, the first woman, Eve, had the sin of pride. She rejected God's leadership in her life, thinking that she was a better leader than God. And every person since then, every person who's ever lived, except for Jesus, has had that same idea in our minds, in our hearts, and we've rejected God's leadership in our life at some point or another as well. And so uh, for those of you who are new to New Life, or maybe you're watching online for the very first time, I want to say welcome again. But I also want to introduce you to a concept. It's called a take-home point. 
We have take-home points every week here at New Life. They're biblical truths or realities that we want to make. The one point that we're going to make in the message will be the take-home point. And we want to take it home. We want to think about it, pray about it, and then live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this week, the take-home point is actually going to be the take-home point for all seven weeks in this series. That's how important it is. And here it is. Things are not what they seem. There's a war going on. And you play a vital role in the outcome. So let's look at each of those. Things are not what they seem. If you look around today, if you turn on the television or surf the internet, you could conclude that the devil and sin are winning. In fact, you could conclude that Christians are sort of, you know, out of touch, out of date, and probably pretty soon they're going to go the way of carrier pigeons and cassette players. They're not going to be Christians anymore. But things are not what they seem. And that leads us to the second point, which is there's a war going on. And it's a very specific kind of war, and it's a war that we've been talking about ever since New Life began. It's a spiritual war between God and Satan. And the reason the war began is because Satan, whose name was Lucifer, at the beginning, it means light, he was the highest angel. He he was next in line to God, and and he decided he was going to be God. He, He had a rebellion against God, and so God cast him down from heaven. We now know him as the devil or Satan. And what happened is he decided that he was going to take the war to us. And that's why we're involved in this whole mess, really. And so it really matters which side of the war we're on because those who end up on God's side end up with God, not only now, but forever. Uh, And those who end up on the devil's side end up separated from God, not only now, but forever. And then the final thing is you play a vital role in the outcome. Now, I don't mean you play a vital role in the outcome of the war. The war was settled already 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died and rose again, the, battle, the, the war was over. But what I'm talking about is the battle that you will face and that I will face in our lives and also the people we will influence, our family members, our friends, the people we go to school or work with, the, even strangers that we meet. We can influence them for how they will choose to respond to God's offer of salvation. And God wants all of us to be on his side. God doesn't want anybody to die and be separated from him. So this is very crucial. And over these seven weeks, our prayer and our goal is that you will understand that things are not what they seem. When we look out there in the world and it seems like the devil's winning, the devil already lost. And when it seems like the world's ways are better than God's ways, we'll realize that that's not true because God's ways are always best. And when we think about this war that's going on seven weeks from now, we will have more tools, more strategies to work against the devil, and we will be succeeding more often and winning the battles in our own personal lives. And then thirdly, um, you will understand the vital role that you play and that you play because you can influence so many other people. You don't know how many people you could influence in your lifetime if you work on the side of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're gonna do over these next seven weeks. But let's move now to the obvious. It's Easter. It's the day we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And what we're going to do to start off our celebration is we're going to remind ourselves of why this celebration was necessary in the first place. What was it that caused Jesus, the son of the living God, to have to leave the comfort of heaven and come here to earth in the form of a human being and live a perfect life and then die? Why did he have to do all of that? Well, it starts at the very beginning of the Bible, actually in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. If you have your Bible or Bible app and you want to follow along, I would welcome you to do that. But in Genesis chapter 3... 
We're going to read verses 1 to 7. Actually, we're going to do something uh, that we used to do all the time, but we only do it occasionally now. We're going to do it today, and that is, those of you who are able, if you would please stand from the screen, we're going to read this passage, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. And before we start reading, I want to, I want to encourage you, probably most of you have heard this story before, maybe dozens or hundreds of times, some of you. But what I want us to do is I want us to determine as we're reading where in the account that human pride led to sin. Okay, where in the account did human pride lead to sin? So let's read God's word aloud together, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth, even though it's hard for us to read because it involves us not following you. And so today, my prayer is very simple, God, that you would open all of our minds, our hearts, our souls, and spirits by your Holy Spirit, that we might receive this truth and the truth of the resurrection, and that we might be changed, either for the first time or for whatever time it is in our lives, that we might love you more, that we might know, know you more deeply, and that we might serve you more faithfully. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Did you notice that the serpent sort of raised doubt in Eve's mind by the way he asked his first question. He said, did God really say? And Eve's answer wasn't completely true. You see, God had told Adam and Eve that they could eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except for the one in the middle of the garden, but he hadn't said anything about touching it. In fact, you know, Eve says, you must not, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. God hadn't said anything about touching the fruit. In fact, as far as we know, they could have built a tree house in that tree and taken all the fruit and thrown it, you know, all over the garden. It wouldn't have mattered. The only thing they weren't allowed to do was eat it. But the devil's question had got Eve thinking and she was already starting to hedge. And so then the devil does something that the devil commonly does. It's one of his chief strategies in our lives. The devil often wars against us by telling us half-truths. And he told Eve a half-truth. Here it is. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So do you see the half-truth? It was true that Eve's eyes would be open, and she would have knowledge like God. She would know the difference between good and evil. In that way, she would become like God. That was true. But what wasn't true was that she wouldn't die. Now, she didn't fall over dead in that instant. But it, it brought spiritual death, and ultimately it brought physical death. And, and what the devil implied was that if Eve had this knowledge, she would not just be like God. We're all like God because we were created in the image and likeness of God. It tells us that in Genesis chapter 1. 
but, but she would actually be God. And what, what Eve was wanting to do was no longer be a creature. She wanted to be the creator. And so did Adam, and, and that is what caused all of this to happen. The pride that says, I will be in charge, is not good for human beings because God is in charge, and there's only one God. And there's not room for another one, as the devil found out when he tried to usurp God's leadership. So here's a definition of pride that I find helpful. Pride is excessive belief in one's own abilities that interferes with the individual's recognition of God's grace. And actually, if you have this excessive belief in your own abilities, you might not even think you need God's grace. You might think you're good, you know, without it. You, that's all you really need. And that's certainly what Eve thought. That's what Adam thought. And that led to sin. It led them to fall. That's the word we use. The fall means that they fell out of God's relationship. God had created the world, the universe, really, for us. And Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, and they had a chance to talk with God every day. It was incredible. And God created them for that purpose, to, to love God and to, for God to love them and for him, them, them actually to worship God as creator and sustainer. But all that went by the wayside in that moment when Eve decided that she was in charge and then Adam decided that he was in charge. And, and here's a, a powerful truth, and it's a problem for all of us. We don't recognize the consequences of sin until it's too late to save us. Remember what happened? It says this, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And there it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So when did Adam and Eve recognize that they had sinned? After their eyes were opened. After they had sinned, it was too late. At the very moment they realized what was going on, they knew the difference between good and evil, and they knew now that they had practiced evil. And they felt shame. They, 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 they had never been ashamed of being naked, but now they were ashamed, and so they hid from God. In fact, God always showed up to talk to them at the end of the day, and when God called out, they hid because of their shame. Their pride had destroyed the most precious gift that God ever gave, and that's a personal and intimate relationship with himself. And so that's the bad news. The bad news is that day, the war was between God and the devil was engaged with us. In fact, the devil has always hated us because God loves us. And Jesus says that the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's the only purpose the devil has in our lives. And, and so the war was engaged. And, and the second generation, Adam and Eve, the second generation, you know, their children, uh, one of the sons killed the other son. And by the time we get a couple dozen generations down, the human race is so evil that God decides he's going to destroy it except for eight people that he saves. And so that's the bad news. And, and you might be thinking, hey, I came to Easter service. I thought we were going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, we are right now. We're going to start talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But before we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, I wanted to remind us why he had to rise from the dead. I wanted to remind us what Jesus did, that he rose from the dead on Easter because he had died for us. That's what Good Friday, the day we call Good Friday, actually the worst day in human history because we nailed God to the cross that day. But it's called good because of the consequence. When Jesus died, he took our sins and he took death on his body in the cross and he died. But when he rose from the dead, which is what we're going to celebrate today, starting for the rest of the message, is going to be about Jesus' resurrection. Everything changed. The war was won. That's what I mentioned very early in the message when I said the war's over. 
The war is actually over. There are still battles and skirmishes going on until, until the devil is ultimately put in his place, which he will be put in his place by God. But for now, we still have these skirmishes going on in our lives, and we have to choose sides. And even after we choose sides, if we choose the side of God, we still have struggles and battles going on. That's why we have this seven-week series, How to Engage the Battle and Be Victorious. So we couldn't get past the first generation of humanity before we introduced sin into the world, and yet God did not reject us. That's so amazing. In fact, I think the most incredible truth of Easter is this. The resurrection is God's response to our sin and death. The resurrection is God's response to our sin and death. When we say Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, what we are saying is we agree that there is a God who had a son named Jesus who died in our place, who took the penalty of sin on himself, and he rose from the dead. And that one reality changes all realities for all of time, for all of us. And so the thing is, down through the ages, for the last 2,000 years since that's been proclaimed by the church of Jesus Christ, there have been some who believed it and many who have rejected it, to be honest, And the reason they reject it is because when people die, they generally stay dead. But let's look again in the the Word of God to the Gospel of Luke and see his account of what happened on the very first resurrection morning, the very first Easter day. It's uh, Luke chapter 24, if you want to follow along. It'll also be up on the screen. It says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now we live on the resurrection side of Easter. We know Jesus was alive. The women also lived on the resurrection side of Easter, but they didn't know it yet. You see, what they knew was that Jesus had died on Friday. They had seen him die. They had watched as he took every suffocating breath until he didn't take any more breaths and he was dead and he was taken down from the cross and they watched and followed as he was taken to the tomb and they saw him put in the tomb and they saw them seal the tomb with a massive stone so that nobody could get in or out. That's what they knew. And and then they knew that they had to wait because it was the Passover weekend and there was a Sabbath in there so nobody could work. So they had to wait till Sunday morning to go and pay their final respects. What they were doing is the same thing we do. When somebody we know dies and we go to the funeral home and we pay our respects to the surviving family members, that's what they were doing except a little different because they were going to put the embalming spices on Jesus and, and really basically end a chapter in their lives. They thought, they thought, that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, but, but now they knew they were wrong. And as I want you to picture this. Picture yourself being one of those people. They were all women, but if you're a man, just picture yourself. You're traveling to the tomb. You know where it is. It's dark. And the it, sun is just cresting over the horizon, and you're walking along, and you're sadder than you've ever been in your life. You can't even imagine ever being happy again. And your biggest concern is, how in the world are we going to get this stone rolled away from the tomb once we get there? And when we arrive, there's something out of place, literally. It's the stone. The tomb is open. So here we are. We're expecting a sealed tomb. And what happens is there's an open tomb. Now, in a B-grade horror movie, we know what would happen, right? This is the place where you should turn and run away as fast as you can because something really bad is going to happen. Something's going to come out of there that you don't want to see. But the women didn't run away. They walked into the tomb, and that's when they got their next surprise, the the surprise that Jesus wasn't there. They didn't exactly know what was going on yet, but they knew that Jesus wasn't there. And so as they stood there puzzled, that's what the, the text tells us next. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead 
for someone who is alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Now, I love that statement. It's it's an amazing question. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? The angels knew, and everybody should have known. Really, Jesus didn't just tell his disciples and these women, the close followers, he didn't just tell them one time that he was going to die and rise again. He told them multiple times. We know at least three times, but it was probably many more. Pretty much everywhere they went, he would say, hey, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be found guilty. I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry because I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be found guilty. I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry. I'm going to rise from the dead. But on that first Easter morning, nobody believed it. And how do we know that nobody believed it? Because nobody was outside the tomb with their tents, you know, with their, lamp, with their lamps, you know, waiting, waiting for the sun and going, 10, 9, 8. None of that. None of that, right? What, what, what did they do? They came thinking he was dead. And, and that's really what happened here. This is an ultimate picture. Before the angel appeared, these women are in the tomb and they're all upset. And it's sort of like what happens when sin grabs a hold of our lives. It devastates us, and we think there's no way out, and there's no hope, and there's no picture. And it really doesn't matter whether it's our sin or somebody else has sinned against us. We can feel that way when sin overtakes our lives. But, you know, it just seems to suck the life out of us, and we just hope that we can just make it through one more day. And that's what those women felt like until they saw the angels. But, you know, there's another response to sin, and it's becoming a more and more common response to sin in our day, and that is we revel in our sin. We say, hey, there isn't any God that's in charge of anything. I'm in charge of everything. And if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. If it makes me feel good, I'm going, to, I'm going to do it. And we say, I'm the one that gets to choose what the price tags are going to go on stuff. And I'm going to put the high price tags on the things that I think are high priced and the low price tags on the thing that I think are low priced. And the problem is we put the high price tag on stuff that doesn't matter. Not for eternity. Things like possessions and position and worldly power. And we put the low price tags on a relationship with God, on our relationships with one another, on the truth, and on God's presence and power in our lives. And so that's what was going on in their lives. And here we see what happens when we, when we think that sin is nothing because we're in charge. This is what is really happening. It's the, the, it's, a, it's a prideful response. And in the end, pride is the response of a life desperately trying to believe that humanity is God, right? We look around today. I, I, I see it so often. I see it sometimes in the guy looking back at me in the mirror. You know, when I get up in the morning, I have this sense that I'm in charge. But, but we see it more and more of people denying that there's a God or any kind of a God. People that think that they're in charge, they're in control. That's a desperate response of humanity to think that that we actually are in charge, that we are the ones, you know, that get to, to have everything be about us. I'm sure that we've all known guys who really did think the song was about them, right? Now, you little kids, you know, teenagers, you'll have to ask your moms and grandmas what I'm talking about because um, that song, I'm pretty sure, was from the 70s. Uh, might have been even earlier. No, probably 70s. Um, and we've all met women, haven't we, who, who want the spotlight, and they don't even want a speck of the spotlight to go on anybody else. Human pride is a horrible thing because it's a horrible substitute for the presence and power of the living God in our lives. But all too often, we live for years thinking that we're the answer, that we're the main event. But the angels showed up and they told the women, and look what it says next. It says, then they remembered that he had said this, you know, that he was going to rise again. 
So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. So Mary the mother of James, by the way, is Mary the mother of Jesus also. So these women are, remember we were going to the tomb, remember we were pretending we were them, now let's pretend we're them again. And now we've seen the angels, we know Jesus is alive, we can't wait to tell the, the 11 remaining disciples, you know, Judas had hanged himself, but there are 11 disciples, we can't wait to tell, Jesus is alive, we can't wait to tell everybody that Jesus is alive. And so they run back and they tell the guys, and it says this, here's how the guys responded, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Now we can't be too hard on the disciples, they've had a really tough few days. Since Thursday night, they have gone through literally hell because their, their Savior, their Master, their Jesus has been taken from them, beaten and crucified and put in a tomb. And they think that there's no more hope in the world for them. And they're, they're behind locked doors now because they're afraid that the Romans are going to come and arrest them and the same thing's going to happen to them that happened to Jesus. And, and so when the women say that Jesus rose from the dead, it sounds crazy to them. Even though, once again, Jesus told them many times, I'm going to do this. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. They, I think, might have been demonstrating at least this much pride even in their response. Because remember, they were Jesus' disciples. And if Jesus had risen from the dead, don't you think he would have appeared to them first? Do you really think if Jesus rose from the dead that he would have appeared to a bunch of women before he appeared to them? So even in a desperate situation, sometimes we can exhibit pride. And I believe there was a little of that going on. And we know sometimes even, even in desperate situations, we want to hang on to the idea that we're the ones that know what's going on, that we're the ones who are in charge, that we're the ones who understand the situation. Now, there was one person in the group who demonstrated some humility, and it was Peter. And I guess if anybody in the group should have demonstrated humility, it was Peter, right? Because the night Jesus was arrested, at the Last Supper, Jesus had told Peter he was going to run away and deny that he ever knew Jesus. And Peter stood up and he goes, look, Jesus, I don't care. All these guys can run away, but I'll never run away. I'll never deny you. I'll, never, I'll go to prison and death for you. But that night when Jesus was arrested... Peter followed at a distance, and he was outside as they're interrogating Jesus, that he was outside, and, and he was around a campfire, and there's a little girl, and she, go, she said, you were with Jesus. You're one of them. He's like, I never met the guy, and, and three times Peter denied ever knowing Jesus, so he was humble, and, and this is what the, the word says here about him. It, it says, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again wondering what had happened. You see, Peter didn't know, but he didn't succumb to pride either. He didn't make up a story about what had happened. He didn't go back and tell the other guys what was going on. He just didn't know what happened. And then later, Jesus actually appeared to the 10. And when they, they were scared out of their minds at first, you know, they, they, they didn't know what was going on. And then they were just like we would be. I mean, if somebody you know who died showed up here today, it would scare you. And what if Jesus showed up right here, right now, just showed up right here? That would make us scared first, but happy second, right? And they were all happy. But one thing they weren't, they weren't proud. And this may be the most important thing that I will say today. It's very simple. The antidote to pride is God's presence. The antidote to pride is God's presence. I've never stood physically in the presence of God. 
but I know that one day I'm going to. One day soon, really. I mean, I'm going to be 60 soon. So in the grand scheme of things, one day soon, I'm going to stand in front of Jesus. The Word of God, the Apostle Paul tells us that all of us are one day going to stand in front of Jesus. And we should be thinking about that moment. Because what are we going to do in that moment? Well, I know one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to walk up and go, hey, Jesus, aren't you glad to see me? I'm not going to walk up and say, hey, Jesus, you want my autograph? You see, there won't be an ounce of pride in that moment because the presence of God is the ultimate antidote to pride. And what we need to understand here this morning on this Easter day is there is a moment coming for each of us when we're going to stand in front of Jesus. And we need to remember that. Just as the women needed to remember that Jesus, you know, the angels reminded them that Jesus had said he was going to rise from the dead, just as the disciples needed to be reminded about that resurrection and also to see Jesus. And so here what, here's what we need to remember. Easter stands as an annual reminder for us that Jesus is alive and well. And we're going to see him someday soon. That's what we need to remember every year on Easter, every day actually, but Easter is a, a good reminder because it's the day we remember that he rose from the dead. And here's the thing, all the world religions that are based on a person, those world religions, their leader died and he stayed dead and they don't even claim that he didn't. All the world religions, their leader died and stayed dead. In fact, back when I was a sophomore in college, you know, back in the 1970s, long, long time ago, I was at IUP taking a social psychology class. And uh, so I was in the sociology psychology building, which tells you a little bit about the people that might have been there. So I went to the bathroom. And on the wall of the bathroom was this inscription. It said, God is dead, Karl Marx. So a couple weeks later, I went back to the same bathroom. And under that inscription, it said, Karl Marx is dead. God. <laughs> and I loved it. I, I mean, I wish I had thought of it. I didn't think of it. But isn't that, a, I mean, it's so true. We think all these people, you know, I mean, Karl Marx said religion is the opiate of the masses. He's dead. All these people, all these philosophers, all these people that started religions, they're all dead, 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 dead. Now, they're not really because they're either in heaven or hell now. But they're physically dead. And Jesus was physically dead, stone cold dead, and he came back to life. And that's the truth that we need to remember. In fact, this is the most important truth. Human sin brought death. That's where death comes from. Human sin, it wasn't in God's design. Death wasn't in God's design. But God's love and power brought us resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ. We need, to, you know, we need to write that on the hat bands of our hearts. We need to remember that day by day by day. When we sin, there's an antidote, and that antidote is God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so here's the commitment as we go out today. It is simple. I will make war on pride through Jesus' resurrection power this week. Imagine how that's going to look. We're going to wake up. We're going to start about a day, and somebody's going to ask us something, and all of a sudden we're going to think, I'm in charge here. I'm going to make the decision. And then we're going to ooh, I remember Jesus is actually in charge here. So I might be the boss, but I'm not in charge. I, I might be the one who's, you know, the one that leads the group, but really I need to be taking my cues from Jesus. And when I do that, it transforms everything. When we recognize that that feeling that we have inside that's sort of dead, that's sin. And it's a lie because the devil wants us to be burdened down and carry that around with us and think that there's no way out. But the truth of the matter is Jesus already got the way out for us. He died and rose again. He took his sins on us so we can have a life that's truly life now and forever. Now, here's the thing. If you don't believe that, then obviously Jesus' power can't work in your life. 
But if you don't believe that and you change your mind or your heart, your, the Bible would call it your soul and your spirit, what can happen is you can have a new life from the inside out and you can start to live a new way. And that's what I would encourage you. If you are here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, Savior means he saved you from sin and death. That's what Easter is all about. Lord, now that's the hard part. That means he gets to tell us what to do with our lives from his word and from his spirit for the rest of our lives. But if you do that right now, you go from the one side of the war where you're on the devil's side, either eagerly or by default, to being on God's side. And when we're on God's side, that means that right now we have that power, that Holy Spirit power, which is what raised Jesus from the dead in our daily lives. And it means that one day when we die physically, we will rise again to life eternal with him. Those of us who have already experienced that, this is our reminder that pride or any of the others on the list, none of those can have victory in our lives unless we let it. Because greater is Jesus who's in us than the one who is in the world. That's the devil. He's a loser, but he's not a quitter. So we need to keep putting the Holy Spirit in charge day by day. We need to keep learning the word day by day and living it out. So today, the solution to pride is God's presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you didn't leave us dead in sin and ultimately dead, dead. But you gave us the opportunity to have the life that is truly life, here and now and forever. God, I pray for anyone who just prayed to receive you as Savior and Lord into their life, that you would give them an assurance of your presence and power by the Holy Spirit. For those of us who have trusted you, God, I pray that today we would recommit ourselves to following you and to recognizing that being in your presence is the best antidote for any sin. And that we can live in your resurrection power simply by asking you for it. And we ask you right now, fill us anew with your Holy Spirit that we can live to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.